This is Alien Girl, part one. Now, the host of the Alien Girl YouTube channel is Amy, and she hosts Alien Girl from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Albuquerque, New Mexico is where I went to high school, and that is a fact. La Cueva Bears. And this is a little-known fact, but Neil Patrick Harris, a.k.a. Doogie Hauser, old school, with more recent appearances hosting New Year's Eve and How I Met Your Mom, he actually went to my high school. But he didn't finish in my high school because he was too busy being famous. But yeah, La Cueva Bears. And that is a fact. And about a year ago, Amy started hosting a morning show called Good Morning UFO. And at one point, she reached out and she said that she wanted to have me on her show. Talk about anti-gravity, UFOs, time travel. And you're going to know right away that Amy comes at the UFO topic from 180 degrees out than I do. I'm kind of all about the physics. And she's kind of all about about the energy and the 5D experience. And so the discussion that we had was really interesting because we couldn't be more opposite. I'm all technical and shit. And she's straight up common sense, but kind of like a free electron, sort of. Maybe. Probably. I'm pretty sure. She like rubs crystals in your face when she starts her show, just for good energy, which I think is probably a good idea. Maybe Sonic Gravity could probably use a few crystals too. And that too is a fact. And I think I just realized from the time zone that she starts her show at like 5 o'clock in the morning. She winds up the Good Morning UFO channel show in an hour and then she goes to work for Albuquerque Public Schools and that is a fact. And she gets like 100 people to show up early in the morning to hear her show. That's pretty awesome. I was impressed. And then later I found out after our interview, or maybe it was like during the interview or just like right before it, but then she goes to her day job at Albuquerque Public Schools and she's a guidance counselor for kids, which is pretty awesome. She's a public educator. And you know she doesn't get schooled and she gets straight to the point and she like works with these kids because the questions that she asks are really savvy and they're very pointed and concrete and it was pretty cool. It was cool to get questions like that. Like, okay, well, tell me what quantum means. What does quantum mean? You know, those kinds of questions where, and I was actually really proud to answer those questions because I think it demonstrates legitness and that is a fact. Because if you don't know your craft, then you're not going to be able to answer questions like that. And so I really appreciated the kinds of questions that she asked and the dialogue that we had. It was great. Bigly. But I'm really proud of this conversation because Amy and I come at things from a completely different perspective. And I think when we were talking, it was organic and it, it made sense. And I think in having the discussion, I think because we're so different, it just made things so much clearer. Maybe. Probably. And I'm pretty sure. At least I thought so. Oh yeah. And the one thing that she told me, and I think this was the reason that when she saw me on Grant Levac's YouTube channel, The Unexplained Rundown, I surprised her because I told his audience that I was a Christian. And it's very uncommon for people who are Christians, I guess, to reveal that you know, in the UFO space, so to speak. On one hand, I was like, oh, I wasn't sensitive to that. <laughs> 
But it kind of resonated with her, I think, because she's a Christian too. And so I wondered if she or even other content creators in this space ever struggle with their religion or if they're like afraid to say it or whatever. I'm not because I don't I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like, no, I'm not. That's just part of the deal. That's just who I am. And two, I think the Sonic Gravity podcast is all about calling it objectively just like I see it, viewing the universe through the eyes of a madman. But in order to do that, I got to tell you what my beliefs are, right? Because, I mean, because in some ways, you know, that's just part of the lens through which I view the universe. And that is a fact. But yeah, to any other content creators in this space, man, let your light shine. Ain't nothing wrong with being Christian. Ain't nothing wrong with don't being Christian if somebody doesn't want to be Christian neither. I mean, go to hell if you want. That's fine with me. <laughs> No, it's not okay with me. Sorry, Pete. I was just kidding. Pete's my brother. He's a preacher. And that's a fact. He's like my only family member who listens to my podcast anyway. So I gotta, yeah, I mean, I gotta be good to him, you know? Love you, Pete. And actually, the theory of everything, the more sciency I get, actually, the more religiosity that I feel. And that, too, is a fact. And I think the reason is, is that the more I learn about the universe, like I believe in God, and so I think of the universe as the hand of God. And so to get to know the universe and come to understand physics is, in my mind, to come to understand the greatest of God's works. Now, a lot of people disagree with that. It's fine with me. I don't care. Believe whatever you want. I'm not here to change your mind or sell something or promote an agenda. I like you just the way you are. But when I'm thinking about physics and I'm thinking about the universe, there's nothing that's getting between me and God. It's just me and him, and that is a fact. It's not a King James translation. It's fucking math. It's like soul math. But I do encourage you, if you're creating content in this space, or creating content anywhere, you gotta be you. You gotta do it. You gotta live your values. Whatever those values may be, whatever values you choose for yourself. And I did an episode on that called, I think, Leadership Part 4, Killer Conviction and the Cure for Imposter Syndrome. Because there's only one thing that you can do amazing. There's only one thing that you do better than anyone in the universe, and that is be yourself, and that is a fact. So don't be afraid to be Christian. Don't be afraid to be who you are. Anyway, I'm really proud of this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. It's the Sonic Gravity presentation of Alien Girl, Part 1. So listen. Okay. 
What is up, my star seed? Thank you so much for joining us today. We have an amazing guest. You're not even going to believe it. And I'm so excited, you guys. Today, we have Brad Voorhees. He is the host of the Sonic Gravity Podcast, where he offers his listeners the opportunity to view the universe through the eyes of a madman. As a neurodivergent, he's uniquely able to deliver on this perspective because in addition to being autistic and bipolar, he also lives with severe ADHD and PTSD from combat service in Afghanistan as an officer in the U.S. Army, which also triggered latent antisocial personality disorder, which also means what's commonly referred to as a psychopath. In Afghanistan, he invented an algorithm, later dubbed Pattern of Life, targeting to kill a terrorist commander who killed his friend Doug. And while working at the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission, he invented an algorithm that peels up insider trading networks and bulk transaction data, like finding a needle in a haystack with a magnet, heals a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in civil engineering and a JD and LLM in law. He's a father of four retired military engineer and U.S. Army Jack. He works as a learning officer for U.S. Securities and Commissions Exchange and in spare time taught himself just enough theoretical physics so that in 2021, after a six-month manic episode triggered by the U.S. Navy's confirmation that UFOs were real, he claims to have discovered anti-gravity, UAP propulsion, time travel, why we get tired, why hummingbirds are so fast, the role of consciousness in the universe, the meaning of life and yes interstellar lizard people must exist and he says that explains the missing link bigfoot and he's pretty sure interstellar humans killed the dinosaurs so whether he's right and wrong anyway you slice it he's definitely the madman welcome brad thank you so much for coming on the show thank you so much it's great to be with you Yes, let me just turn down that music and we will get started. All right. All right, Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Alien Girl. I'm a big fan of your work and all the things that you're doing. Uh, So I was just delighted to have you come on uh, the Sonic of the Sonic Gra- uh, Gravity podcast. I'm, I'm loving what you're coming up with. I just saw an Apple podcast. You're kind of making the rankings. You got into 174 <laughs> rank on one of them. You know, you're getting in the top, you're getting in the top hundreds, the top 100s, 200s on the podcast list, which is actually incredibly hard to do. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of podcasts. So you must be feeling good. So tell me how's it going first. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. No, it's absolutely great. Now, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to leave you with the misimpression that I camp there. It's usually, you know, just momentarily. It's almost like it's almost like glimpsing a UFO. You know, it happens maybe a couple times in in your life, but you'll always remember it. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, one hundred percent. That's huge, especially just trying to get out there and get people to listen to all this stuff that everybody's talking about. And I, I, I'm, and I think you know what what you what you have in your bio there about being triggered by that New York Times article is especially interesting to me. Yeah, well, it's like you know, weird things happen when, uh, at least at least for me, when it comes to seeing you know, patterns in data, like, you know, I sort of have this philosophy that, you know, the universe, all the evidence for everything in the universe is out there. And the only, the only thing that determines whether you 
know or don't know is if you can detect the information, sort of the asymmetric information out there and then kind of put the puzzle together. And so, you know, when it comes to like UFOs, you know, I was just looking at them and I like, you know what, they take off with instantaneous velocity, you know, they stop on a dime and it's like the only way they could do that in physics, the only way they could do that is if they had no mass because they take off at, they accelerate at such speeds. Even if it was just like a ship, it would pancake itself from the inertia. Like it's to accelerate that fast. You know, you get in your car and you go, you know, zero to 60 in several seconds, you feel like pushed into the back of your seat. Well, if a, if a, if a car took off like a shot, just if it was an empty car, I mean, it would crumple itself because of its own weight as it accelerated. And so, you know, the only way that those crafts could fly would be if they were massless, right? Because they, so otherwise they would pancake themselves. And so what I, what I'd said was, well, they have to be massless, right? I mean, it's just, that's what observation tells me. Like they zip around instantaneous velocity, they're massless. So I was like, well, okay, what causes mass? Cause whatever it is, we have to unwind it, right? We have to make mass go away. And so, you know, I started looking in YouTube, looking at like quantum physics stuff. And it turns out there's something called the Higgs field, which gives matter mass. And it's like, well, okay, how do we get rid of the Higgs field then? And I was like, well, what touches the Higgs field? And then I found on PBS Spacetime that the reason the electron is slower than the photon is that it has what called left-handed chirality. And left-handed chirality has to do with something called the weak hypercharge, which is what it trades back and forth with the Higgs field. And so this left-handed electron, turns out, is snagged by the Higgs field. And so, okay, well... What's, you know, what's the Higgs field? It turns out that the Higgs field is a quantum field everywhere in the universe that has a non-zero energy, meaning that in the vacuum, every all consensus scientists agree that there's what you called 246 gig electron volts in this field everywhere where there's nothing. And the left-handed electron is holding on to the, or the Higgs field's holding on to the electron, the left, this left-handed electron. And so I was like, well, I don't know if you know this, but you know, when you, when you put your food in a microwave, right. And you bombard it with microwaves, the microwaves like hit the little molecules of your food and it jiggles, jiggles your food. And so things get hot when they shake. And so, and that's, that's putting energy into your food. It heats it up. And so, well, I was like, well, I think the Higgs field is gravity. And gravity is negative energy density. So the thing that departs from the sort of the scientific consensus that I believe is that the Higgs field is actually negative 246 giga electron volts. And so I catch these left-handed electrons in a magnetic field and then jiggle them. I shake them by pumping that magnetic field. And I think if you can put 246 giga electron volts into the Higgs field, you can reduce it from negative 246 to zero when the Higgs field goes to zero, you have anti-gravity. You have no gravity. You have no mass. And so that's that. how. Yeah. So that's how, you know, that's just how my brain works, you know. But it's not like and crazy. I, I'm just like logically following reality, you know, just try to find and it. I, and I think that's, you know, one reason I feel <laughs> like I sought you out. <laughs> 
I really, and this sounds so funny because I've talked to so many people about anti-gravity and I, I feel like I can understand it a teeny bit, you know, like I can grasp things, but like you broke that down in a way that makes sense to me. So thank you for that. And I know that's going to make more sense to the viewers because a lot of non-sciencey people really want to know more about this. And that being said, because, you know, on my show, we tend to focus on all sorts of things. I love getting into the science like this. And I also love getting into the starseed friends who, you know, are living in the 5D, having active communication with extraterrestrials. I have many friends kind of living this path. And that's that's been interesting to me because, you know, it's harder to prove that something's not real than it is to prove that it's real. Right. And so I'm still open to that, that possibility. Like, I don't, I don't know. Right. Um, But that Mm -hmm. being said, when we get down these pathways, people bring up the word quantum. Sure. (laughs) Like it immediately (laughs) explains everything. Right. Like it's almost like, even when you go down the star seed path, even when you go down the gravity path, even when you hear people who aren't physicists like, you know, Lou Elizondo and all of these big names, they'll throw that word quantum out there as though yeah. to explain everything that's that's yeah. going on. What do you think about that? Because like I said, it broke down like a lot of my viewers watch my show. We have sure. some really science heavy viewers. But like I said, we also have some very star seed heavy viewers, right? Which I guess is the best way to differentiate the, the range of people. So what do you think about using people using that word quantum as though plugging it in to have like a definitive end to the conversation, I guess is one way, or to just try to make something seem more complicated than it actually may be, because you just broke down anti-gravity for me, your own personal theory. I could figure it out, you know, you but people don't do you that. Can. They don't do that when you use the word quantum. I'll see people on shows and be like, well, it's because of quantum physics or quantum computing. And a lot of people, you know, watching the shows or listening to the shows are kind of like, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I have very, and, and just imagine everything I say is caveated with if I'm right, <laughs> because, you know, somebody could say, oh, you're not right or whatever. And okay, fine. Whatever. You know what I mean? Like maybe you think I'm wrong. And a lot of people, Will and I've been on, um, you know, forums with physicists and stuff like that. And to be honest with you, a lot of them don't really know what they're talking about. They really don't because when, like, you know, talking about different aspects of the phenomenon, you know, like the heat that comes off of them, like that, you know, there are a lot of people who were talking for at least like last year about self-containing plasmas. No, that's not what nothing there's no such thing i mean there's nothing like that um it just turns out that when you go massless you create this gravity field and we can talk about that later but and that gravity creates pressure and that pressure creates heat so the so the it's like friction you know and so the gravity is so it's not a self-contained plasma it's just sort of a byproduct of you know what i think is really happening if i'm right right so but um to answer your question though um even scientists don't, I think many don't have like the exact um, ontology The this, the uh, you need to really understand what quantum entanglement is and what quantum means. You have to understand, in my opinion, the, what I call the Rosetta stone of the universe. And if, 
if if someone wants to know what quantum is, quantum is merely an adjective that describes the scale that we're talking about. So at the very, very smallest scale, the smallest resolution of the universe, right? The, if the universe was your TV screen, the quantum level would be inside the pixel of your TV. And so quantum, really, it only stands for an amount, right? Quantization, which stands for like quantity. That's all it is. And so quantum, the way I have come to understand it, which I think is correct, that I have not heard anybody articulate, the quantum level is at the very, very smallest level where that's sort of the minimum quantity, right? So, and there's, a, there's, there's something called the Yang-Mills mass gap, right? And it's a millennium prize problem which means if anybody figures it out, they get a million bucks. And of course, I think I figured it out. I did an episode called um, the Yang Mills Mass Gap Millennium. I don't know, something like that. But anyway, um, and it, <clears throat> but the reason that there's a certain quantity in a certain space, and that's as small as you go. And I think every little, every little pixel in the universe is what, is what scientists think is a neutrino. And it's sort of like the grid paper through the volume of the universe. And actually, space-time is blowing out of black holes, right? It's space-time. I, I think we live in a holographic universe, which means we live on a hologram, which is sort of like virtual, where our consciousness is on the surface of a black hole. Because like your brain, your brain, you know, when you think about, okay, I'm walking around in this room, your brain actually doesn't hear anything. It doesn't see anything. It shouldn't touch anything. It doesn't smell anything. Your brain merely receives signals. Do you hear that dog? I'm sorry. Um, your brain receives signals. Oh, good. We love dogs. We're a dog-friendly show. <laughs> your brain receives signals from your nerves. And, um, and those nerves are sending your brain essentially bioelectricity signals and that's what you feel that's what you perceive as sight and hearing and sound your brain's actually sitting in your skull in a sensory deprivation chamber and all it does is interpret energy and so my my sort of th my theory of everything the sonogravity theory of everything is that our consciousness sits on the surface of a black hole and and it's a holographic universe so we're receiving information from the hologram the same way our brain receives information from our senses and so when um so the so at the quantum level right at the quantum level our consciousness is energy on the surface of a black hole and that's why and and you know depth perception right of our of our consciousness is the resolution right of the is the resolution of the hologram and so there's no actual 3D. There's only time now. And then, you know, in the future is, you know, into the black hole. And so since we're stuck in space in one spot on the surface, and, you know, it's space time, right? Time is passing through us. And that's why we think neutrinos. And that's why scientists know neutrinos are passing, a zillion neutrinos are passing through us. Well, that's actually space-time 
blowing through us out of the black hole because it's not space, it's space time. So if we're moving through time, time is actually moving through us. And so that means space is moving through us too. And because space is moving through us, that's why the universe is expanding. And the universe is expanding the further you look out because there's more black holes blowing out space time between us and wherever we're looking the further we look out. And so so that's that's sort of at the quantum level is the maximum resolution sort of you know on the hologram where we're at and we talk about the reason we get tired right well the reason we get tired stephen hawking proved that information heat containing information is is evaporating off of a black hole it heat leaves the black hole and it gets the energy from the black hole and stephen hawking concluded that that's why black holes evaporate is because the energy the hawking radiation coming off of them which is carrying information to you know satisfy something else in physics called the law of conservation of quantum information stephen hawking proved well at least to the satisfaction of the scientific consensus that information is getting carried away from black holes and i think the information that is carrying away from black holes is our consciousness when we die Dude, that's so fantastic. Yeah. That's I mean, fascinating. It's, like, it's totally, I mean, I didn't prove that. I didn't think of it. I didn't do the math. Stephen Hawking did. But let me corroborate that. So I think that explains, first of all, why the universe is expanding. Because space-time's blowing out of black holes. It also could explain why we get tired. Because Stephen Hawking proved that the black hole evaporates because there's energy coming off of it which means the energy, whatever happens, has to come from the black hole. And that means that our consciousness on the surface of the black hole competes for time, competes with time for that energy, which is why, and time, space-time blowing out of that black hole is what's changing the hologram, which is what we notice as the passage of time. We don't have an organ. We don't have a time organ, right? We have, a, we have, we, we have sense. We can see light. We can hear sound. When something flashes, we see it. When something goes bang, we hear it. But we don't have an organ that senses time. The only way we can tell time is by looking at the changing environment. And so when, and that's why when, when we're asleep, when we're unconscious, when our consciousness is inactive and we're not taking energy off the surface of the black hole, time moves faster, right? Because we're, we're not hogging up that energy. But when we wake up, our consciousness takes that energy and actually slows our relative time. When we're taking up energy, time uh, the space-time blown through this hologram doesn't have as much energy because we're taking up some of it. It's finite. That's, that's Stephen Hawking proved that's not me. But that might be why the hummingbird is so fast. It's not because it has fast muscles. It's because it has slow time. And what corroborates that is the neuron density of the hummingbird's brain is 650 million neurons per gram. That means 650 million neurons, it's firing. It takes more energy off the hologram, which takes more energy away from time. So it's time moves slower than ours because we only have 53 million neurons per gram. So when the hummingbird is conscious, space-time blowing out, can't change the hologram as fast so the hummingbirds film like if you're filming a hummingbird it's going tick 
tick and it's moving at the same speed but then when you play it back at the speed at at, at regular speed it's moving so much faster because its clock was moving slower and so because of the hummingbird's neuron density stealing so much energy from the surface of the black hole choking time making it so it can't move as fast the hummingbird doesn't move fast because it has fast muscles it moves fast because it has slow time so this brings us to what we originally were going to discuss yeah. and i think you know which direction this is going to go into there's um uh, wow so first of all this is incredibly fascinating because what we're talking about is how each individual living living organism that we have based on the neutrinos right in our brain we live different different um perceptions of time like a, a hummingbird is living on a different level of time is that kind of what you're saying i think so i think it's time moves slower because well if we're all on the surface of the hologram and we're taking up energy essentially competing for time competing with space-time because space-time wants the energy to change the hologram and move time if our consciousness is competing with the flow of space-time for that energy to change the surface of the hologram then we're jamming up time we're slowing time because we're taking some of the energy it can't use anymore and so if if that's true then that would explain why the hummingbird's so fast and, you know, the bumblebee has a trillion neurons per gram. You know how fast a hummingbird beats its wings? Or wow, a bumblebee beats its wings at 600 times a second. Six, a bumblebee is like Chris Christie flapping trash can lids, you know? And the neutrino was, goes with the correlation of what you're saying. Well, the neutrino, yeah, the neutrino right? would be the marker of like, it's kind of like if there was a flow of time, like space time coming out of something, the neutrino would sort of be the quantum pixel I think of wherever you're quantizing the universe, wherever there's right, a value where it flows out. Yeah. So there's, it would be like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a flow of little, you know, kind of dots. And it's right. crazy though. Then the, the reason that I think this makes sense is because, well, I think I have a YouTube video. It's a five minute YouTube video called black hole Genesis. And so I think that black holes, they're not mass black holes are what happen. Because Einstein said that anything that moves faster than the speed of light would have to go back in time. And so if you think of like an ice skater, when she jumps up in the air with her arms out, she's spinning. But when she pulls her arms in to do a triple axel, she spins up really fast. And that's because there's a certain amount of rotational energy as you're spinning. And it takes, and the further your arms stretch out, the you know, the more energy it takes. But if you pull your arms in. It takes less energy, but your energy has to stay the same. So you spin up faster. And if you think of how big a star is, millions of miles wide, when it when it when it collapses down, it's spinning sort of like a light speed axle. And in the middle of that star, this this part right here wouldn't be spinning as fast as this part that's like spinning around really fast. And so when it shrinks down at some radius, I think it must spin faster than the speed of light. And it's all that material, all them. At that one instant, all them neutrinos, wherever they're at, when they go faster than the speed of light, that time, Einstein said, must rip out of time. It rips out of time, goes back in time. And so there's something called the law of conservation of, of, uh, of mass energy. And so if you, think of, if you think of like the universe as a movie reel, 
And if it's a holographic surface of a black hole, the holographic surface of that black hole at any instant in time, you peel that off like a sheet and hang it. And that's like the state of the energy in the universe at any one instant of time. And you could sort of hang every one of those sheets all the way back in time, like slices of cheese. And then time becomes distance-like across those slices of cheese. And so when we they, when all that mass goes faster than light through time, well, this slice of cheese can't take the core of that star that's having to go back in time. So it has to keep going because all the energy in that slice of time and that slice of cheese has to be the same. So when it goes back, the tension, the tension of the distance, we call time dilation, of that energy going back in time is gravity. That, and we can talk about how gravity is actually caused by time but in a minute. But it goes all the way back. But none of those slices of cheese back that way can accept it because it would violate the conservation of mass energy. So it goes back before the beginning of time. And then there's no space anywhere except for the space that that little star brought with it, that that donut. And so it explodes into a big bang and it inflates and that's a new universe. So I think through the hologram is a gate back through time to a new universe in every black hole. And so we're information on the surface of the black hole. And it's that tension, in the Higgs string, that tension through time that is pulling the space, time and energy back to the universe where it came from. And that's why space time's blowing out of a black hole. Cause it's like, come on back here. You know, it's like the gravity of the black hole is sucking the space time out. And that's why the universe is expanding because essentially <clears throat> a black hole turns mass into energy it goes back all the way through time. And now it's trying to always that gravity's like pulling, you know, Hey, come on, give me that star back, you know, but now it's converting essentially through universal expansion, all of the space coming out of that black hole all that mass is turning into pure space neutrinos and is blowing out of the black hole. And it's that uncoiling space. that's like elbowing for room in our universe, which is why our universe is expanding and our universe is expanding. And you look at the cosmic microwave background of our universe. I think that's the inside of the fishbowl. That's the inside of our black hole. And our space time is blowing out into our parent universe. And so, cause the universe where our star, which I named Ashley, um, supernova and turned into our universe. Oh. You know what I mean? And so that's the multiverse because every black hole in our universe is another universe. There's universes inside there. And so that's the multiverse. And so, you know, what we're, what, oh, so anyway, so the space time blowing out of that black hole, right? I think, and you can prove this. You could prove me wrong. And here's how. If I'm right, right? Then what well, we know when we look at the hummingbird, right? When the hummingbird is awake, it's conscious. Its heart beats 20 times a second. And when it sleeps, when it's unconscious, when it lets go of that energy, gives it back to space-time, it beats one time a second just like ours. That's, That's a fact. 20 times a second? 20 times a, a second. bird heartbeat. How is that even possible? I mean, that, that a, would have to be 20 seconds, 20 heartbeats. Yeah, 20 heartbeats. If you, if you look at its wings, like we just see, here's the thing, is that you know your theory of everything is right, I think. When it, nothing conflicts with it. The only thing that ever conflicts with the sonic gravity theory of everything is what the consensus impression is when it reads this measurement. No, oh, oh no, it's a muon. It's a different particle. 
oh, because its mass is bigger. Well, I don't think so, right? I, I think I think a muon, a tau, they're just embiggened electrons, you know, because, and, and we can talk about it, it's because with the faster something moves, the the more observable mass comes off the hologram, which is because every uh, energy is, all mass is, is energy. E equals mc squared, right? There's an E and e equals mass times the speed of light squared. So that's the energy on the hologram that we see. That's, you know, every, your, your, your energy, that's like not disputed in, in physics. You have a certain amount of energy. And, you know, in our reference frame, like dark matter, right? There's 5.25 times as much dark matter as matter pretty much everywhere in the universe. And the reason that is, is because like, here's the holographic surface of the black hole, right? Your energy is orbiting leashed to the surface of this black hole, right? By the Higgs field, right? And so here's the hologram. Here's time into the past and into the future. And your matter is going like this, okay? Now imagine just like electron going around like that. Well, when it hits the hologram up here, it's an electron. It's like negative. It's what we know as an electron. When it swings back around, it's dark matter. And when it comes back through, it's a positron. It's an anti-electron. It has a mathematical, the opposite spin. It's going the opposite way through time. And then it comes back around. Oh, it's an electron again. It's dark matters come around. Now, if, if you do, if there's, if we use natural units and, you know, if the Higgs string is say like one unit, which I think is a Planck constant, one unit it's not engaged Two, it's engaged and it's swinging around. So that means just geometry, right? Diameter times pi, right? So four. So, you know, it's one, two hologram, one, two, that's 12 and a half units. Cause it's pi times diameter. So it's 12 and a half in that circle. If you have two, two of those distances are inside the hologram. That's two to 10.5. Now, the exact measured ratio of matter to dark matter in the universe by physicists is 1 to 5.25, which is the same as 2 to 10.5. So that actually dark matter, the ratio of dark matter actually corroborates, I would say proves, but people would be like, no, it doesn't prove. But it, it corroborates the, the, what I call the Rosetta Stone, the, 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 um, the sonic gravity theory of everything, the Rosetta Stone of the universe. So if we are on the surface of a black hole, it explains why we get tired. And because, you know, our consciousness is jamming up time competing, which is why, you know, we get fatigued because we, we constipate the flow of time. And, and so, why we have free will, right? Whoa. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry. Free will. No, 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 no. Like, see, here's the thing is that, I used to believe in free will too. I used to really believe in free will. The trouble is, 